Welcome back to GivePod, Greater Vancouver's business podcast. I'm Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. We're continuing our series on labour sponsored by the British Columbia Institute of Technology, Education for a Complex World. Now, before the pandemic, the tourism industry generated $5.9 billion in export revenue back in 2019. There were 19,748 tourism-related businesses in BC employing over 130,000 people and paying about $5 billion in wages and salaries. One of the sectors most hurt by the pandemic was the tourism industry due to the shutdowns globally, and it is still building back. Today, Keith Henry, the CEO of Indigenous Tourism Canada, joins us to talk about the labour challenges in his sector. Nice to see you, Keith. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be on the show. So let's talk a little bit about the Indigenous tourism impact here in British Columbia, because the impact of the tourism, Indigenous tourism sector in 2019, of course, before the pandemic, was over $400 million. So maybe a good place to start is just to talk about the role of Indigenous tourism in reconciliation, also in preserving culture and employment in Indigenous communities. I mean, give us a full picture of just the impact um, that this has on the overall economy of our province and in Canada. Yeah, I mean, um, Indigenous tourism is extremely important to the British Columbia economy. There's about 400 businesses, you know, some are very large, uh, some are smaller operations, you know, in Stanley Park, uh, many of your listeners will be aware of Talisay tours. They do a on the land guided tour through the park and talk about the history. Whereas you go to Squamish Little Cultural Center, there's, you know, many staff and a much larger facility or Squatch Eyes Lodge, just downtown Vancouver, which is a, uh, you know, a boutique style hotel and a uh, artisan gallery. So it's very important to the British Columbia economy. And, and, and the fortunate piece for Indigenous tourism in British Columbia is, it is really sophisticated. It has grown over many decades since the 90s. And um, it's really come a long ways in terms of it's sort of what we would call market or export readiness. So pre-pandemic 2019, tremendous interest from growing markets in the Asian communities uh, to strong still market support from Europe, Europe. And then, of course, a very, very important U.S. market to that, to the economy of British Columbia. It was driving a lot of interest coming to BC beyond, you know, the existing sort of tourism destinations we know of in British Columbia. Visitors were looking for new and exciting things to do. And, and Indigenous tourism was becoming top of mind as uh, some new ways to d- discover uh, what British Columbia was. So very important. Yeah, it really does set us apart from other countries globally. I mean, it is, uh, I would say, our unique value proposition. There's it really is a very different experience to be able to go to an Indigenous tourism operator and to really fully experience what that's like. It, it is. And, you know, it, it's, um, you know, it, it, I have often said this, I've been in this industry since 2005. And, and uh, you know, there's what I've, I've had the benefit of, of getting around the world myself and many beautiful lakes, rivers, mountains, oceans, uh, beautiful scenery in, in a number of different ways. But what Canada has is a very proud and prosperous Indigenous community, you know, and, and beyond the social challenges, there's so much strength of culture across the country. And British Columbia is exceptionally strong in terms of strong Indigenous communities. So 
you know, BC does have that to offer in, in, in many, many, you know, exceptional ways, whether it's hotels, like I said earlier, cultural centers, outdoor adventure, there's restaurants, obviously Salmon and Bannock in Vancouver. I was just going to say Salmon and Bannock, what a great right. one. <laughs> but the other side of it now, the world is coming to realize, and, and it it's kind of created more interest in, in, a, in a good way. You know, we all know that BC was also the home to where the first residential school discoveries were, mm-hmm. and to your point about reconciliation, a lot of Canadians pre in 2019, as we're sort of focused on, also didn't necessarily know the truth about the history of, of, of residential schools. And and having that sort of thrown into the public conversation in the way it was since in the discoveries initially in Kamloops, uh, with the, the Kamloops Shkwetmika people and the, in, the, in the former school there, I mean, people are starting to realize, wait a minute, there's a history here that maybe we didn't, maybe we overlooked. And so it's, the 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 positive, I guess, way I, I would say is that, that that's actually created more interest in people really taking a renewed interest around Canada. So that's going to bring more. I mean, that's how important this work we're all doing is. Can't have reconciliation until you have the truth. And so, you know, you speak about the horrific things that happen at residential schools that that is something that there needs to be a light shone on before you can actually start on some of that reconciliation work. You you have to have truth, and and I think that the, the communities and the entrepreneurs and everyone on the indigenous side, whether you're First Nation, Métis, or Inuit, everyone's trying to figure out how to tell that story in a way that mm-hmm. you know is acceptable to our own communities, to our own people, and then that we can help the non-indigenous world, if you will, just have a bit of the uh, uh, relate in a good way. You know, we don't, I think a lot of our communities are working on their own journeys to their own, you know, um, reclaiming their culture, identity and pride, but um, we've come a long ways and I, and people want to relive this in a constructive way. They don't want to relive it in, in a way that is going to perpetuate negative stereotypes. So, so I think that's what I love about indigenous tourism, because that actually allows for that safe space to do that through many of our businesses. So looking where we are now, 2023, um, it has been a really difficult few years for the whole tourism industry. Would you say that uh, the industry and and Indigenous uh, tourism industry uh, specifically, has it fully recovered to those 2019 levels? Well, uh, you know, (laughs) there's there's some in in, in our own Indigenous community that would like to say that it is, but the metrics don't show that to us at, at, on a national perspective. Uh, you know, we are all, I think things have come back really strong. I mean, we're seeing recovery faster than so far than we initially projected. But, um, you know, we're still only about 65 to 70% fully recovered back from 2019 levels. Really? Still that yeah, far? That still, big of a gap? Still, it is. And, and, and there's some parts of British Columbia and in Vancouver specifically in Victoria and around some of the larger, more robust tourism destinations where some of our businesses have recovered fully and some are claiming they're doing better than they were in 2019. But I can't say that would be the same of the northern British Columbia communities or those, uh, you know, that are more rural and remote. So we have a, a tale of two worlds, depending on where you are. But I can tell you confidently the overall it, uh, trajectory and current situation is that we're still about only at best 70% across the country of what we were in 2019. Such an important perspective, Keith, thinking about, you know, the experience uh, in the urban part of the province is quite different to what you're seeing in the rural part of the province. And uh, 
and, and just understanding that that's going to take a little longer to come back. You know, we often have been hearing about the labor challenges that, you know, the industry has been facing and, and obviously, you know, looking through the pandemic it's because of the shutdowns and, and everybody, nobody was traveling. So, you know, what kind of labor challenges are you seeing specifically? Um, and are they on those frontline workers still and trying to get those people back into the industry? Absolutely. I mean, we have tremendous challenges uh, with many of our businesses across the country where it's frontline staff, it's marketers, it's general managers, it's all of the above. And the challenge we have that adds another layer of the complexity of the issue for us and from Indigenous tourism, you can't promote and market and sell authentic Indigenous tourism if it's not an Indigenous person on the front line working in that job. Of course. So, so this this has made the situation fairly, uh, you know, quite complex and challenging for us. I mean, um, the good news is, is consumer demand has never been higher. The challenge is we just we're not operating at, at full capacity yet. So um, we are, you know, trying to, uh, you know, think of new and innovative ways to promote and, and, and encourage Indigenous people to want to work in our in our businesses, you know. Um, not only the 400 in BC, but the other roughly 1500 in the country, and many more that are in development within nations and entrepreneurs. But um, it's a big challenge right now. And, uh, it, you know, it, there is a there is one of the contributing issues for us continues to be that once we shut operations down, every other sector really came aggressively looking at hiring our indigenous mm -hmm. people and they and they did get a number of them and some entrepreneurs close their businesses and aren't coming back. So it, it it's a combination of a lot of things, but it's um it's a big challenge. And and I guess the third pillar of that, I would if I can call them pillars, there's a you know tourism. I even within our own communities, as important as I know this work is, important as I know many of our our people think it is, there's a lack of confidence that it's going to stabilize as much as we need it to in the long run. So there's still apprehension. Now, of course, we at ITAC do everything we can to give that 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 confidence, but you know. Will the market change again? Will we be hit with some other viral impact in the next two years? Will, you know, we're seeing challenges with flight limitations and infrastructure and mm -hmm. all the other things that people don't think about that impact us, absolutely impact Indigenous businesses. It's your career, your vision, and your goal. You should be able to navigate it your way. BCIT Flexible Learning is designed to help you get to the next level. Whether you want to learn a new skill or earn a degree, Discover a variety of options during the day, in the evening, or a bit of both. You're learning your way. Learn more about your options at bcit.ca slash flex. BCIT, flexible learning for a complex world. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, there that was a long time. I mean, there was the closure back in 2020, and then it looked like we were going to reopen and things closed down again. So it makes sense that people would be hesitant to, to wonder if that is going to be a stable industry to go back into. You know, we we delivered our labor report at the beginning of February and 65 recommendations. And really one big pillar of that was about maximizing participation in the workforce and to really dig into those underrepresented groups, one of which is the Indigenous communities, and ensuring that they can fully participate in the workforce. So looking for some solutions, one of the things we talked about um, a lot in our report was offering shorter term, more accessible kind of training, like micro credentials, also 
training in the communities where people are instead of having to bring them into some of the larger centers. What are some of the solutions you're hearing to increase Indigenous, uh, the Indigenous workforce in the tourism sector? Well, I think one of that would say on the uh, for any partner looking at that, you really have to make sure you have an Indigenous inclusive environment. Do you have policies that state as such? Do you have, you know, any sort of Indigenous cultural supports on staff or in your programming options? Those are all, I think, practical, pragmatic tools you have to have. Um, word of mouth is very important in our in our network, whether it's uh, whatever community you're from on the Indigenous side. I mean, there's got to be a level of, you know, we like this. This company is good to Indigenous people. They've they've been they've they've served our interests well. Et cetera, et cetera. I mean, some of it's social license, but truly, it, um, you know, I would, uh, one of the tools that we really have been promoting is more around uh, training on the job. I think you hit the nail on the head for some of our, uh, you know, uh, especially our younger population, they may or may not have all the post-secondary credentials or skills, but are the uh, academic skills, but they certainly have the uh, life skills and they certainly have the, the enthusiasm. So I would say just that maybe wage subsidy opportunities and getting them into the job slowly but surely a summer sort of placement or or some sort of placement experience to see if they like it right you know it's almost like a you know a, like i said an apprenticeship style model and it's not just specific to trades but an, an indigenous apprenticeship style model where it's just giving them would they be interested in working moving from their community somewhere and actually providing that support so these are these are really you know us and, and in fact, and for us at, at ITAC, one of our strategies for helping our own businesses hire Indigenous people is much more focused on the wage subsidy side of it. So that's so we can provide sort of placement experiences to see if people will stick it out in the long run. So those are really practical tools that I would encourage. And I think it's a, a different mindset where it's, um, you know, we are all thinking about sort of that continuous learning where maybe somebody, as you say, doesn't have the fully, the full academic credits, but they can dip in and out of practical training to be able to get the experience they need. Yeah, it's 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 very important. And the other side of it, I would suggest on this as well is around that whole, I mean, when I you have when I talk about cultural supports, you know, um, but that also includes the importance of of partnering that that individual with someone on like some sort of mentor uh, whether it's indigenous or not in the company that actually knows how to navigate. So if it's some of the larger companies, it can be very, you know, some people just uh, some of our, my own, myself included, like I, I've gone in and out of government and I've chosen to stay out of government positions because I just didn't feel it was a, it was a, an environment that I really uh, understood like the the layers of bureaucracy and, and, and policy and best, like these are things that, that are very unfamiliar to a lot of our people. And so um, you know, we, in our, some of our communities, it's, you know, you get access to, to leadership instantly, right? Where, mm -hmm. and, and so I would say all those things have to factor in the way you kind of look at how the perspective of the Indigenous employees coming in. Um, is it accessible? Is it, is it the kind of environment that, that, that has cultural supports? Is it the kind of environment that has the right mentorship accompanied with it? Because if you just, um, put a person in a job and forget about them, they're not going to stay. And th that's one thing I know. That's so true. And when you spoke about how, you know, you have to have Indigenous people leading Indigenous tourism, that's a, a no-brainer. But I think that also extends to the kind of training as well. So to be able to increase the Indigenous workforce, there has to be Indigenous trainers offering the training. So there is that environment of welcoming. 
There's and I, but I think that I would encourage like organizations or their boards or their or their management teams to really think about, you know, make sure that they understand a bit of the, you know, a little bit about the indigenous issues, right? You can't go into this just thinking it's a great job and so much is just, you have to be relatable. And I think that's where I would encourage that kind of cross-cultural, just, you know, you don't have to spend thousands of hours doing this stuff, but really find a way to promote and sort of spend some time, um, uh, you know, uh, just just learning about each other one-on-one, taking some opportunities, visiting, experiencing Indigenous tourism is a great way to do that, to be honest with you. And I think just promoting that as a cult, as your corporate culture. Well, and I would think, too, given the um, the median age population, uh, median age in the population, that there's a ton of opportunity because the Indigenous population is a lot younger than the rest of the population. So often tourism interests that attracts people who are younger workers anyway it's absolutely true right and it's uh but i again i will come back i've seen so many major employers and uh, you know and brands and companies come back after beating their head against the wall and 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 find it really challenging and not sure which networks but part of it is their corporate leadership hasn't made the commitment to learn about the issues or be relatable. And, and, and often they're too busy or they think they are, or they, and I think I would just really continue to, before you walk down this path, I think you've got to get educated on the issues and you've got to understand the difference between the communities. And and it's mm-hmm. not, you might want to bring a consultant in to do a workshop or there's still, there are cross-cultural programs. I mean, um, ITAC, we're delivering, you know, uh, training for destination market organi- or marketing organization boards that are mostly non-Indigenous to help them be relatable on the tourism side. So there are many initiatives going on out there, and it's just connecting with the right network. Maybe talk a little bit more about that, Keith, and the role of trying to educate and promote Indigenous tourism and, and how you work then um, outside of Indigenous tourism with some of the other partners. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's many destination marketing bodies across the country. Um, they control a lot of investment around how, you know, destinations are promoted uh, domestically into the world. But a lot of those boards and those staff and everyone that does that is not really um, that well versed on on Indigenous issues or how to promote Indigenous tourism. So what we've started to implement is this, uh, you know, uh, basically two-day workshop around how do you actually help people feel they can they can have ownership over uh, truth and reconciliation recommendations specifically recommendation number 92 which is around indigenous participation in the economy mm-hmm. so we want people to feel that they can that, that it's not something that they're being told to do that that they actually control that des- that that journey and they contribute to it and so we've been starting to you know bit by bit uh, go out to uh, you know whether it's you know, I, I'm just using this as an example, but in Vancouver, destination uh, Vancouver, or, you know, you've got broadly, you know, uh, destination British Columbia, or we're trying to reach out to that network of partners to make sure that we provide them those tools should they need them. Not all not all these organizations do. They, they feel they're well on their way on the journey. But we felt like that's part and parcel of what we need to do to create the overall understanding of how to, to, to support Indigenous tourism in a good way and to be relatable to the issues, the very points I was talking about on the labor side. Yeah, totally. Uh, sounds like a great initiative and opportunity for education and for organizations and individuals to learn. Uh, I, I did get struck by a number that you used at the beginning of the conversation, 400 Indigenous operators in BC. Sounds pretty good when you think about the size of British Columbia. 
but most of those aren't in Vancouver. And most tourists come to Vancouver, either start here or end here with their journey. So what's the opportunity just sort of in the city or in Metro Vancouver? Well, I think that just helping people to connect with all those local businesses. I mean, I named a handful of them, but, you know, there's many more. There's Takaya Tours, you know, there's uh, in North Vancouver. So I think people, I would encourage people like, you know, you got Indigenous Tourism, British Columbia's website. They're, they have a robust website and they, they list all the destinations that are in the Vancouver area. Um uh, we have Destination Indigenous, which is a national consumer platform, and there's uh, there's a interactive map, and you can look at all the experiences right in Vancouver. And I would just continue to ex- you know encourage people to get out and explore some of those local opportunities. I mean that that's how we build relationships. And I, you know, I think you've heard me say this before, Bridget, but I mean you can't just show up to Chief and Council at Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh and say, "Hey, give me a you know teach me." <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, that's not how it works, right? So. But our businesses can give you a small snapshot into that, right? Whether it's experiencing Indigenous food at Salmon and Bannock. Squatch at YVR at, now. Oh, at, at YVR, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's even adding more more to the plate here. So, um, but I mean, there's many of those local operators, you know, and you know, there's galleries here. There's, you know, Bill Reed Gallery. I mean, that's uh, more of a traditional art gallery. But I mean, there's lots of those experiences that have been developing. Uh, you know, there's the food truck with Paul Hollywood now, you know, like there's, there's a number of opportunities that people may be not fully aware of and I think it's around just going out and exploring and and spending some time on those platforms and just making a personal commitment to get out and doing something. Well I think those are fantastic resources that you mentioned as well and I hope that you know maybe next time we have this conversation a few years from now that some of the labor challenges will be addressed and that we'll see many many more Indigenous tourism operators in and around Vancouver and Greater Vancouver there's certainly, uh, as I said, you know, I think it really sets us uh, apart on the global stage and it just also addresses truth and reconciliation. So delighted to continue to see more growth and accelerated growth in the industry. Keith, thanks so much for making time. Happy to be here and always a pleasure to, to share my insights. Our Labour Series is sponsored by the British Columbia Institute of Technology, education for a complex world.